Knockout Ginger, episode 16, with Mark Godfrey and Eric West. I spent the afternoon talking to them and recording, and you can't hear most of it, because we're idiots. Also, I used the wrong microphones. But it's fine, we're dealing with it, we're learning together as we go. Eric is on the left, Mark is on the right. I'm I'm kind of just off to the side a little, you know. Email me at knockoutginger at gmail.com. F all the haters. First things first, these Blue Jays trades. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I've made this joke a couple times over text, so I've tried it. Okay. It works really it well. Works. But I'm really excited for the rest of the season for the opponents to self-pitch for the Blue Jays for the rest of the the rest of the season. What does self-pitch mean? It's in like for those of you know our listeners, Mike's listeners. Self-pitching is when you pitch to your own team. Yeah. So now that the Blue Jays don't have any pitchers. Because we traded them all away. Oh, I the see. The opposing team <laughs> pitches to themselves, and they, yeah. the idea is like in rec league baseball, it's so that you can the ball gets into play, so you don't have pitchers striking out batters who've never played baseball before. So it's it's really fun, but it's never happened in a major league level until now. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, like, did you see the Ross Atkins interview where he said he was very, very excited about Derek Fisher? Oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, he had a great basketball career, but <laughs> I don't know if baseball is a sport. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. What K gave up? What like six runs last night? Did you watch the game? I didn't watch it. No. Bichette looked great. That's yeah. the thing. It's actually, it's actually. If you're actually a baseball fan, it's kind of fun to watch. It makes sense because we've never seen a Blue Jays farm team. Emerge. Well, Mike and I were just making the point though that like we get blowing up the team, calling up the young guys, but get something for Aaron Sanchez or Stroman, you know, like get get something. Yeah, like anything, one thing. Yeah, they didn't really even blow up the team. They just kind of like turned the drain when you're done doing the dishes, and it just kind of like trickled out the bottom. Because like last year, you could have seriously got something for Hap. Yeah, like that was you. You should have sold high on him. Mm-hmm. Strowman is having probably his second best season ever. Mm-hmm. It's like you could have waited a day and a half. Like the Twins wanted him. Well, there's also that argument that you could have waited till the end of the season to move Aaron Sanchez, or even next season. You know, have yeah. Sanchez as your yeah, there's one no, starter. There's literally no rush. There's nothing. There's nothing now. Yeah. Um. I don't know if I f- when I feel darker about not getting rid of everyone or thinking of the scenario where Sanchez is our number one starter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either he's either sucking or he's got blisters. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The Sanchez thing is so interesting because like he actually. There was a chance that he could have been good this year, and he could yeah. have been good next year. You give him... He's got all the tools. He's just... He's got injuries. I'm yeah. mostly confused about why Houston wanted those two guys. But Houston turned around and got Granky. Yeah. Well, okay, so there was something... I was reading something about Houston, how apparently they have a history of working with curveball pitchers and guys who have a really high spin rate, and so apparently they see something in... Sanchez. Guys, I'm saying right now, he's going to be amazing. He probably will be. <laughs> he probably right. will be. He's going to be amazing. But hold on, the Astros have Granky as well. Like, they're starting rotation yeah, now, so they have Verlander, uh, uh, Cole, and uh, Granky. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And Aaron Sanchez. And Aaron Sanchez. And Blister Sanchez. And, bl- and Aaron Sanchez. The blistering. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's... But I don't know, I mean... The offense is pretty fun to watch. It's cool, but yeah, the kids are taking over. 
Whatever. I'm into it. I'm into that. Sure. And they've sucked before. Yeah, oh, yeah. This, is, this is nothing it's new. Familiar, yeah. It's like this is Toronto sports. So like yeah. they're going yeah. to suck until they don't, and then yeah. everything is amazing for a year and a half. And guys, Raptors are now going to fall into um, the abyss. No man, man, they're they're no longer. Kidding, this there. is playoff Powell's team now. Anyways, don't even get me started on that. Do you trade? Do you trade everyone? Before the season ends? No, no, I think you, you let them ride up. Like, especially because every, like, all the fan base is basically in love with Lowry. And Do you offer him another contract, though? Yeah, you offer him, like, a... Like a two-year... A friendly, you know, like, you're going to close out your career here. You did you did something for us, so I'm doing something for you. Because he's only got... He's not going to get... He's not going to be a starter anywhere else in the next couple of years. No... I just think just because your body breaks down fast and he's played, well, he's, he's had a long season, short summer. You know. Yeah, actually, we've never seen any of those guys have this short of a summer, which would, well, those guys. And Lowry's like 32, 33, yeah. right? So in basketball, you're like 100. Yeah. yeah. Marcus can't jump anymore. Marcus can barely, like, sometimes, man, I, I'd see him, like, drive the lane and I'd just, like, hold except my for that, <laughs> Except for that one dunk. The one yeah. dunk in the Buck series that he just like palmed it from the top of the key. Yeah, from the three point line. Actually, yeah. <laughs> he is my favorite basketball player of all time now. Really? Yep. Gasol. He's Marc Gasol. Yeah. Wow. Why? Why is that? I'm curious. The just backbone. Is. But whatever. How about those? Uh, how about those baseballs? I'm saying Dodgers. No question. Oh, Yankees might have something to say about that. Though. You think Dodgers are going to win it all? Yep. I don't know about that. I I want the Dodgers to win. I think the Yankees might pull it off. Just, they're just really good. Really, really good. They need some more pitching, but... I think the Astros really did some... I mean, I've been saying Yankees all year. That was kind of like what I figured. But I think mm-hmm. the Astros have really kind of beefed that up. My dark horse is the Phillies. <laughs> I love the Phillies. I'm a Bryce Harper fan. Not a lot of people are. But I just want to see them do well. What's your... What do the playoffs look like going in? Uh, I don't know. I haven't given it that much. What's the AL, least, or the AL look like going in? Well, Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to Blue Jays, Tigers. Uh, <laughs> and I think Baltimore snatches up yeah, that last yeah. wild card. Well, that Baltimore will definitely yeah, be the no wild card, card, 100%. Whatever. But absolutes are silly, but I think maybe Kershaw is my all-time favorite ever. Mm. I love him. It's lots of miles on him, though. Yeah. But I think he's going to... He's going to... Lock it down. What, what are his numbers? I haven't seen what his numbers are. Me either. But they good. I think he's got that playoff juice. Mm. It's gonna happen. And Rusty. <laughs> yeah, nice little short dribbler to shortstop to <laughs> to eliminate the Dodgers <laughs> or sweep in the World Series against the Yankees. <laughs> That'll be it. It'll be it'll be Russell Martin. He'll be up to bat. There'll be like three outs. They'll have been swept. Like it'll be three three games to none for the Dodgers. It'll be back home in LA and he'll hit a short grounder to shortstop. That'll be his contribution? That'll and yeah, they'll throw it out, that'll be it. He'll be the he'll be the end of it all. <laughs> I have a Russell Martin jersey. I, I know, I remember Evo. I have an Aaron Sanchez jersey. Oh, do you? Yeah. I, Smoke is the only person left from the well, Smoke and Pompey, but Pompey doesn't count. From the 2015 thing. They, I think they released him. Pompey? Yeah. So Smoke is it? Yeah. Wow. R.I.P. 2015. Why didn't they send him somewhere? Smoke? Pompey. Yeah. Or Pompey? Smoke. Oh, Smoke. I guess there weren't enough... Yeah. I guess there weren't enough... Was enough interest. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of sad. It depresses me a little bit. See, but it, I, I'm okay with it. It's like, like I was basing my life around the Raptors. Right. It's really stressful. 
And it was the same thing in like 2015 and 2016. It's like, yeah. it takes a lot of time and effort to like invest in those games. And yeah, and I mean, it's it's incredible. But it's like, yeah. you know, when you're when you're a sports fan, and like I can't imagine being a Leafs fan. Like you know, like an actual Leafs fan. Like if you know, because people are like so invested. Yeah. yeah. With that kind of thing, and like if they ever get to that point, it's like it's gonna get crazy. But like. I always found it funny when people are like really, really diehard, you know, like fans invested in teams and like, you know, their mood basically hinges on whether the team does well. Yeah. You I know. think that's the thing about baseball. It's like baseball is one of those sports where you can like the sport and not have to, like you can, Yankees fans are like always hating on the Yankees, right? right? Like if they're not good, but like they still really love the sport. Right, yeah, like they know baseball. Yeah. They don't just know the Yankees. Totally. I feel like Leafs fans are like, kind of like that. I mean, they like the Leafs, not so much hockey. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Well, because there's so many Canadian hockey teams. It's like right. you have they a market like, You split. pledge your allegiance and that's it. Yeah. But it's baseball. Big Jets, right? Part of the team. Part <laughs> of the team. Love that prairie energy. I was just in the prairies. Well, the prairies. I was in Manitoba. That's not yeah. the prairies. How much? West. The rough riders. See, there, there's a full Toronto thing for you. I was <laughs> in the prairies. I was in Winnipeg, and then I was in Brandon. How much did <laughs> you chug? <laughs> it's... <laughs> they have this thing there called the honey dill. Do you guys yeah. know about this? Have you tried this? So it's like, it's like mayonnaise and honey and dried dill. You dip like chicken fingers and whatnot in it. Oh. It's pretty good. Yeah. Heinz tried doing it here in Canada. Or here in Canada. <laughs> here in the center of the Here universe. in Canada. This is the problem with TSN, right? Um, but yeah, it's um, it's really good. But apparently Heinz tried making it a thing here, and it just didn't didn't mm. work at all. Uh, they just did that thing, mayo chup. Yeah, that's uh, that's a weird one. It's super weird. That's a weird one because you can just put those two together. Pretty easy. At pretty least with like honey dill mayo. There's a third uh, mayo yeah. ketchup. And in, in like the, in Cree, mayo chef translates to <laughs> shit is on my face. <laughs> Amazing. It's good. <laughs> but anyway, so I was just in Manitoba, and it's cool because like the people. The musicians who I, I was working at a camp, and so the musicians who I got to know at the camp, I've been there for like four years or whatever. And it's just, it's nice not being in Toronto and meeting other musicians who've like come at it from a completely different way. Like coming at the jazz thing from like not being in this city. This city. Yeah. Like what's, what it's just different. Around? It's just like a completely different experience of like. Like what? You they know, suck? <laughs> You can be honest for only No, no, it's it's just it's just different. It's like, you know, most of the people we know like went to school within the and most of the people who we know who we interact with here went to school within like, you know, the Hamilton to the extent of Scarborough. Right. It's like everyone kinda of came in even the people who like moved from other parts of Canada are like essentially Toronto people now because they went to Harvard right. Um and like has its Montreal thing and so like that's the way and Vancouver's the way it is but like when you get out into like Manitoba it's like they're so far from both sides they kind of have their own you know but don't they have that uh, that program out there well that's like they're it's that's like what I'm saying connect to New York yeah so there's a lot of people who come up and teach there who like have never really been in Canada or come up from the states or from North Texas right um and New York and, and it's cool because like this it's a completely different uh, like musical path that they've taken to get they didn't study with you know Don Thompson and Dave Young and you know it's like as a result of that what do you what do you it's just cool to like be in a place where like people have a completely different perspective on the music that we all really care about um, mm. and to see it like in another place in Canada I mean, I haven't really spent much time in Vancouver or Montreal on this, you know, right. going through, but, like, this Manitoba thing, it's like, that's, you know, I've done it for the last four years, and it's like, you just kind of get to know people who are there. And it's, like, small, definitely very small scenes, but... Um, Do a lot of the teachers go back to New York in the summer? Um, I 
from? I don't know. Like, so the people who I'm teaching with are like guys like us, like in their early thirties mm. kind of thing who've been, you know, either in Winnipeg from somewhere else or in Brandon from somewhere else. Right. Um, but I don't know how much travel there actually is from New York and up and they go back. I'm sure they do. Right. What was your role at this camp? I was the base faculty. The one? The, I was the only, yeah. So they have basically, it's like, um, you've got a rhythm section and then, uh, there's a great tenor player and a great trumpet uh, trumpet player, and that's your core jazz faculty. Then they fill it out with like other, you know, like a music subpar educators. bass player, subpar bass player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like how you looked at the mic to say that. Make sure you get this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, subpar. Are you, are you listening? CBC <laughs> um, subpar bass player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was I was bass faculty. The the days are long. Like you teach from like eight thirty to eight. So you have a combo, you have a master class, a bunch of private lessons, theory class, and then there's cool. a faculty big band. But the kids are really good. There's a lot of good bass players from North Dakota. I have no idea why. Like teenagers. None of them are studying with, like, really anyone. Mm-hmm. They say they just kind of check out the records that... I, I write down, like, a list of records for them to check out at the end of the end, and then they go back, and the next year they come back, so I listen to this, and... Like, are they from, like, a specific part of North Dakota? No, I mean, some kids from Fargo. Um, the other names are small towns that mm. I didn't know. Bunch from, like, rural Manitoba as well. It's a really good bass player from Winnipeg. She's, like, 12, mm-hmm. just, like, nice. digging in on the upright. But, no, but it's cool. Phone off there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm getting gigs. Winnipeg getting no. I don't know <laughs> wait what, what did you say oh jeez it's not well no. landlord stuff oh no we don't have to talk about that here it's an emergency no I was just kidding but it's okay sorry that don't worry you look okay. nice. <laughs> thanks for that yeah I was having a real nice time talking about this camp <laughs> snap back to reality yeah Subpar bass player. I went camping C-C's. once. Once? Not for me. Me too. I'll deal now. We've been we've spent thousands of years perfecting the indoors. <laughs> <laughs> you got cottage boys? No. No, you, uh-huh. you just don't like outside. No, I like outside. I like playing sports outside and. Go for walks outside. So I take the garbage out sometimes. Go for coffee. I have to walk outside to get the coffee. <laughs> yeah, you can do that in here. I know, but it's just a nice reason to go outside sometimes. No, have a purpose, no direction. Hmm? You went camping once. I did, yeah. It was after um, I graduated from high school with some of my friends. We went to Algonquin, I think. And it was, it was cool, but... You know, not for me. I'm with you, Mike. Like, everyone, why would, everyone, why would anyone do that? Yeah, they're all reminiscing about like how they used to go on family trips, and they all kind of looked at it fondly. So I couldn't wait to go. And I had to shit in the woods and fucking eat beans. <laughs> I was like, man, this is not cool. This is not cool. So <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound as fun as. Uh, I mean, like I, this is teaching at a camp, right? This is not yeah. camping. Oh yeah, I know. It was it's, just. It's a little, a little bit better. If I wanted no plumbing and shitty food, I'd just go to... <laughs> I grew up there. I'm over it. They moved the stage there. The stage isn't on anymore. It's like facing south. Anyway, sorry. It's... You know how it used to be like the stage was like the same side that... Was? Yeah. Like on the west side of the building? It's now on the south side of the building. So which way south? Oh yeah, it's it's been like that for years. What? Yeah. Not not like a since, lot of years. Since before I moved to New York. Because oh, really? I was still gigging on it when it was. Oh really? Moved it. Yeah. I guess I hadn't been there in a while. Yeah. It must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on up. How was your guys gig on Saturday? No, it was Tuesday. What was that? Last week? Uh oh, the transact. Yeah. Really what was fun. 
Who's the who's band was that? Was that you? Mike put it together. I didn't know how you were gonna if you were gonna prep questions or how you were gonna do it. I'm just gonna shoot the shit. Yeah. Questions are for. It would be users. really easy to just talk bass though. Yeah. Like that was. You you made a good call voicing that because I guarantee you I would have. Uh, Andrew Downing just got a set of Genslers. What? Yeah. New ones? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Explain these this strings. Go they're, I don't really even know. Like They're basically a gut string with certain kinds of fancy wraps. So, like, does he even make a plain gut? I've never played a plain gut of his. It's like wrapped gut strings. And he used to work for another company that was, that still is making strings. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of, I guess he figured some stuff out and went out on his own. He's in, he's in Germany? Did he work for? He worked for Garbo, or Velvet. For Velvet. I didn't know if we were allowed to say all these. Velvet's companies. fucking me. Oh, really? Are you having a time with the Garbos? Yeah. They're, uh... We should just have... We should... No. <laughs> Let, let's... Sometime we'll do a bass... We'll do a bass chat. strings. Um, we'll get, like, four bass players and That would be a fun one. No offense. <laughs> You're not having a good time, Mark? I'm having a great time. It's just really easy to, like, go get? down that rabbit hole. Should we say it on here? Yeah. Who do we, uh... <laughs> I mean, how many do we want? Did you go to that show on Monday? Mm-hmm. Was it good? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs> Maybe we should crack uh, those beers. Uh, yeah, do it. Uh, that man, that. Oh, boy. that can't go in. Oh, but. Um. Oh shit, here we are. What, what do you got? Collective arts. Um, and I have a coffee in my left hand. He says as he grabs a coffee from his left hand. Uh, any new music? Anything hurt? Anyone hurt anything? Uh, heard anything? Anything new that you listen to? Uh, new? That, or just like that you just recently oh. listened to? I got really, it. Sorry, you first. I, I really like. Yeah, whose podcast is <laughs> that? Anna Weber record, Clockwise. I I really love. Is that it. the one with Matt Mitchell and uh, Hollenbeck? Is Hollenbeck on that one? I don't know. He's in the trio. No, it's not. I don't think. We should, we should search that. I haven't heard the new one. I've heard the first one. The first one's really good. It's Chess Smith. That's what I thought. Oh, it's Chess Smith. That's cool. Uh, who... Is it a trio? It is not a trio. Um, it's Chris Tordini, Jacob Garchik, and Jeremy Viner. Chris Hoffman, Matt Mitchell. It's amazing. Everyone should check it out. Mm. How about you, Mike? Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, I just got back into, or back into maybe is not the right word. I've listened to it before, but I just got excited about Vijay's Vijay's record, Blood Sutra. Oh man, that that's Taishan, right? Oh, dude, I love that record. Great. Is it trio? It's like two thousand six, right? Cool. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Quartet with the Rudrash. That's a great record, though. I really love that record. Yeah, Rudrash Mantapa. Taishan Sori. Have you heard that? Or Vijay Iyer, no. Stephen Crump. Oh my god. It's awesome. 
That was like, I think back when I was in Barry Romberg, I uh, was pretty instrumental in pushing music on to us and making us listen to new stuff. Um, and that was VJ. I uh, was one of the artists that was in constant circulation amongst like ensemble members and Barry was pretty cool to encourage us to check out some of that stuff that was going on in New York when we were still in high school and it was, it was awesome like having him sort of foster that way of, of checking music out and trying to analyze it because there was a lot of cool rhythmic stuff that was going on that he was really getting into at that time and uh, it was cool yeah I love that record so much a lot of my friends were really into it. Like my buddy James Caldwell was very, very into uh, that album in particular. So, got a little nostalgia. And uh, I've been checking out a little bit of Hank Roberts. Oh yeah, which has been interesting. Like it's he's someone that I've kind of like I've kind of missed him a little bit along the way, and I've. On the bass, I th- totally thought that I figured some shit out by listening to Colin Stetson play saxophone. Well, this is the road that I went down. I, I listened to Colin Stetson, and I was like, I think this is maybe possible, sort of, on the bass. And it's, a, it's not... I mean, maybe it is someday, but it's a process. Trying to adapt solo gigantic saxophone to the bass and like that overtone thing and everything but so I I went down this road and I've like kind of figured some shit out and then I realized that like Hank Roberts has been doing it on cello the whole time Mm. so I haven't really done much I've been accidentally imitating Hank Roberts without knowing yeah interesting he, he was at Banff when I was there and gave a master class on bebop laundry. What does that mean? It's doing laundry in your hotel room. But he gave, like, a 40-minute master class on it, and that was it. So I don't know how it is now, but Dave Douglas had it set up that each person who gave a master class would... It would be, like, 45 minutes or whatever. And so Hank Roberts was the second... Like, the second person to give a master class. And... I think he had his cello up there, but it was just lying on its side, and he starts going into, like, when you're on the road, like, you know, your clothes can get, you know, pretty dirty depending on how long it is, so, like, you gotta have this number of white shirts and this number of... And then, like, talk about, like, washing in the sink, then hang, you know, certain things, if it's still wet, folding in a certain way, but, like, talked about this for, like, 40 minutes, and then it was like, that was it. And so I was, I mean, I don't know, I was like 21, 22, and so I had recorded it all on, on my H4, and it's like, had a pen and paper out to take notes, and I was just kind of like, and then everyone else seemed really into it, and I'm like, okay, I guess that was cool. <laughs> and that was it. Do you have this recording still? Yeah, I'm sure I have it somewhere. I need that. I would love to hear it again, even. Mm. I, I, I have all that stuff, like, the entire band thing recorded. Yeah, I deleted that from my life. <laughs> I don't have any of it. Intentionally? Yeah. Mm. Did it suck? The new yeah, the time I went to bed. I loved it! <laughs> Mr. Too. Black! It's a Simpsons reference that you won't get. <laughs> because I listened to your podcast with Joel and Curtis. Yeah, and I've never seen... Oh, speaking of Joel... So when I was at the camp, my combo, I just went around the room, hey, what do you guys... Like, what are you listening to? They listened to some local people who they knew from, you know, and then one kid, this sax player, who actually sounded pretty good, goes Kenny G. Exactly. But here's the thing. So it's like this kid didn't say Kenny G because he's checked out everyone else and he's like, you know what? This is, this is my shit, right? He said Kenny G because that's probably what his music teacher or his dad or his uncle or like someone just gave like you know this thing of, of a sax player and he checks it out he, he thinks he likes it because he likes a saxophone so the only thing in that situation to do is be like cool mm-hmm. he's pretty well known as a sax player some of my favorite soprano sax players are John Coltrane you know it's like it's just like giving 
another thing. And then, and then after this, hey, man, you should really check out that kind of stuff. Sure. Anyways, the end of the week, he's like, hey, man, like, thank you so much for all your time. Could you give me a, a list of some of those sax players that you told me to check out? I'm like, yeah. So, you know, I wrote it down. It's like, that could have very easily, like, what the hell's wrong with you? you Kenny oh, yeah. G? You could have. Like, are you an idiot? Don't get me wrong, I think some students do respond well. Maybe not in that situation, because you're like asking them what they check out, you know. But it's just. You're it's gonna make them feel like an idiot. But what, I mean, what some... do you check out? Wrong! <laughs> yeah! Nope! <laughs> nope! <laughs> Try again! Yeah. But, but I just, like, I don't know. No, some people in those situations uh, do respond well to that. Um, you know that like intimidation. You know it gets the adrenaline pumping, and they and they sort of they rise to the occasion. But I don't think in that situation where you were in, it's necessarily that you're not going to all of a sudden know the changes to summertime. You know he's not going to like scare you into knowing it. Yeah. At that point in time, he could throw you a bone and be like, "Okay, well here's the lead sheet and let's, let's play it." And then maybe like upon playing, you'd be like, oh, "I'll check it out more after." Yeah. I guess there are, there are a bunch of different like levels to that, sure. elements to that scenario. I should say it's like. First of all, it's, I don't know if it's on a record that I've listened to. Mm. John Coltrane. What is it on? Summertime is on. Uh, what's? I know from Breaking Bad. Summertime is on the. Um, my favorite things, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. Let's check it out. I could be wrong. I know from that, I have this Ray Brown record I got in high school. It's like the late 2000s Ray Brown album. Late 2000? Year 2000. Yeah, Summertime. No, that was a real album he made. Summertime is on My Favorite Things. Huh. That train. Yeah. That's how I, that's, that's where I first fell in love with that song. I guess I never checked that out enough. Besides you ever played it as a funk, though? <laughs> Sick. God. Amazing. There's a cool Albert Eiler version. Oh, yeah? That's, like, probably the only one I've Oh, uh, um... Elvin Jones' Heavy, heavy Sounds... Is that the is that the record? There's a duo version of him and Jimmy Garrison playing it. Summertime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really really cool. Mm. Um, heavy sound. I guess not really helping. <laughs> no, actually, you would you would love it. Evidently, I have to dig into summertime. <laughs> oh, sorry, not not Jimmy Garrison. Uh, Richard Davis. <laughs> Uh, How many other good versions of <laughs> Yeah, oh my god. It's an 11, it's 11 minute and 37 second version of drums and bass playing Summertime. Mm. That's it. Richard Davis and Elvin Jones. Oh, that's a good record. Uh, Heavy sounds. Yeah. Uh, pass. Also, Elvin plays guitar on this one. Yeah, man, I don't know. Not for, uh, well, we'll try. But not for me, no, it's a different tune. <laughs> That was the funny thing. So at this camp, I keep talking about this camp, but like the kids were like, so there's a jam session two nights. Um, the kids kept yelling for us to play Giant Steps. It's like classic. That tune is like it was an exercise. He, well, he didn't even like it. Yeah, I know, but that's like a classic music school. Yeah, flex kind of. But like high school, this is not like. No, like, like I don't know. In high school, that was kind of the, the the thing. Yeah. Dude. Well, and now with the internet, it's a completely different. Like kids can kind of yeah. figure out whatever song, yeah. but it was just—it was funny. We we played it as a very slow bossa. Did you? Yeah, we were like, all right, what we're gonna do is we're gonna make it sound nice. Mm. There's a George Shearing record called "Like Fine Wine" that it's George and Red Schwager and Neil Swainson, and they play it as as a bossa, and it's awesome. I think Pat Metheny does it too. Yeah, he does it on that. Uh, is it Trio Beyond? So with Bill Stewart. Steve Swallow. I don't know. What record is it? It's like 99-2000. Google, you're my best friend today. You ever done one of these where you're listening to music with people? No. I should, maybe. That could be a cool one. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's 99, 2000, That's what the record's called? <laughs> yeah, Trio 99, 2000. Oh, that's the actual name of the record? Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought that was a joke. It's a pretty... Hilarious. Well, he's got 8081. I just assume that he would put out another record. <laughs> yeah, that record blew my mind. 8081? When I heard, when I, no, this one, oh. 99. Like, when I heard it, um, I thought Bill Sturt was two people. I was like, how is he doing the polyrhythms? Mm. I was like, I'll never forget. I was in Halifax when I got the, the album I bought it from Sam the Record Man out there. In Halifax? In Halifax. And I was playing the Atlantic Jazz Festival. And I, was, I was still, I was part of the program. Bleep that out. Um... <laughs> But I remember like going back and listening to it in like the dorm room I was staying in and be like, wow. And I looked at the liner notes and I'm like, there's only one guy doing that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, there's a misprint. <laughs> uh, excuse me. It was a really cool moment. Giant steps. That's. Uh, jazz. That's a new one I learned. What's well, it's uh, a lot of thing. Jazz. Jazz. No. I don't know. It's like bro jazz or something. Oh, okay. Jock jazz. Mm. Who says that? Uh, I like how people say these terms and like... No one knows what they are really. Or also like no one gets too specific because yeah. you're like, I'm going to play a gig with that guy later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I'm <laughs> like no one has... No one yeah, yeah everyone, the, no one's like actually standing so up. So everyone's so political. I think I maybe learned it from the Gorilla Fair podcast. Oh, Grill Fair, yeah. It's Kira and Tara. I've been listening to their their podcast lately. <laughs> See, I keep getting it out. I just got it out. <laughs> oh, okay. Please. Okay. <laughs> in, in a much lighter, more musical way. So I've been mixing my record. I'm spending a lot of time on some like post-production stuff on it so I'm like I'm really listening to it so it's it's Allison Al and it's Chris Prude and Matt Warshall and Nick Fraser um, and I haven't really seen any of them since I've been working on it it's just like in summer everyone's doing different things like I saw Chris at the Rex the other day and like I haven't seen let alone talked or heard Chris outside of like the context of my record in a couple months just like we've texted a bit but like and then it was kind of weird I'm like Oh yeah, I was listening. Oh, I was listening to you on my record. I've been thinking about you a lot. But shout out to Chris Pruden having interact. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's funny. It's like when you're like like the whole recorded thing. You're kind of like interacting with like that person on mm-hmm. your own level now. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think anytime that you uh, you have those, it's like almost like a it's your own experience with that person, whether it be they're playing or. Or their podcast, like even you, like your podcast. I listen to it while I like shoot hoops outside. It's awesome. But then I, I'll see you at a show later that night, and it's like <laughs> it's hilarious. I don't know. I can't believe people listen to this shit. I know. I've been riding that this whole time. Pretty sweet. Do you ever sit in these? From time to time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I here, so. You're recording soon. Yeah. I'm recording in the beginning of October. Nice. With my group, but it's just going to be an EP. It's it's just getting off the ground. So. Where's that? Well, it's it's going to be uh, the initial like EP recording will be at Roberto Acapinti Studio. At Burdock? Roberto. Oh, nice. Acapinti cool. Studio. Um, and then we'll see. From there, it'll just be like something to have and and sort of just get the ball rolling on the project in terms of putting some stuff down and. Maybe applying for some things, but we'll see. Cool. Who's on it? That will be uh, to be determined, but right now uh, I have a gig booked with my group at the Emmett Ray, and that's the lineup set. It's uh, Michael Davidson on vibes, uh, Kaylin Murphy, trumpet, Leland Woody on sax, and uh, Julian Anderson Bowes on bass. And uh, I can't remember the day exactly. But I'll post it somewhere. 
The gram, probably. It's closer to the The gram. The gram. Not to be confused with DeGrom. No. He threw a pretty good game last night, I think. If I think. I wish there was more openness in people talking about mental health with this shit. Because this, like... Mm. You know what I mean? Like, this is all coming out of, like... Places of insecurity and not being sure. Even, like, like I don't know how to proceed. It's just... Everyone's so, like... Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? Like at a time when you're developing as an adult. Yeah, it's you're, just you're making some pretty concrete decisions about who you are as a person, what's important to you, and then there's people fostering that insecurity. Yeah, so those two things are happening simultaneously, and I don't think, and I think it kind of leads to a lot of really destructive way of yeah. conducting yourself. But a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of that is in school or whatever comes from that insecurity. So it's yeah. like all of a sudden there's a drummer or bass player or a sax player who's better than you. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're going to sit there and not be the friend. Consider the fact that they can steal all your gigs or your ensemble or whatever. And then they're your arch nemesis rather than your pal who you want to work with. Like yeah. you said, right? It's like all these things are ridiculous when you step out of it, but when you're in it and you have no break from it, like, it exists. Yeah. I just wish that, and I don't know that it's the same way in other industries because the freelance thing is a little bit like, sorry, in other music industries, yeah. other subgenres of it. I just, I feel like I would have wasted a lot less time on feeling shitty if I knew how to talk to other people about feeling shitty. You know what I mean? Like if you're open with your feelings? Like if you not just feel it, but like insecurities, like if like I'm worried about how I play the bass, I talk to you about how I play the bass, and then we have a conversation about it. It makes it a personal thing, and it's like, oh man, like yeah, I feel like shit all the time as well. And it's just like the solidarity of like it not being about you, but being about larger collective music thing. I just wish there was more open dialogue. But also, what, what are you feeling like shit about? Is it your level of playing compared to something? Sure. That's, let's, well, that, let's call that, that one of ridiculous, too, because... Not, some people don't think that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sure, like, if you don't... And we, we, you and I have talked about this. Like, if you don't have that bone in your body, that's great. Mm-hmm. But some people do. Right. And And how do you how do you find a way to, like... Navigate, and that's what I mean about the mental health thing. That there's a lot of different things that can play into it, and how do you how do you come together as a community and take care of each other in a way that fosters creativity, that doesn't exclude people who are already on the periphery. Like, I think that's that's a it's a, it's interesting to me because when I look at the community of people, it's like we're all friends, but we're all, we've chosen the prof- profession before we've chosen each other. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of being a musician that a lot of people don't talk about. It's like your closest friends are the people you work with daily. There's, so you don't really get a break from thinking about music or where you stand in the community or what your career is like or you know because you're whether or not you're hanging out you're hearing about other things that are happening for other people and depending on who you are that could affect you negatively if you don't have that feeling where it affects you negatively that's that's cool that's a different story but from my understanding a lot of people who have you know I've had relationships with play music with it, it does affect them negatively and uh, they're open about it sometimes and in you know, conversations like this where they talk about, like, you know, and maybe in different words, but they, they mention how, like, oh, you know, you, you could kind of, you get the sense that they're digging for information on why maybe they got the gig, and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I start picking up on the fact that they may be down about the fact that someone got a gig over them, or they were considered over them and why they weren't you, you can see the wheels start to spin in their head and you're like oh damn this isn't actually helping I was just telling someone what was going on and this is affecting them negatively you know you know what I mean like there's no break from it 
even if you guys are having a beer or you're you're you know doing something completely unrelated to music it seems to always be on your mind and their value as a person is tied to it is tied to it so that's where I think it's unfortunate like I always have I try to be of the mindset like if someone gets called for the gig they are better for that gig than I am so maybe don't take it personally and if I want that gig maybe I need to do more work to get that gig and that's the way I, I sort of make it about me rather than about them versus me and comparing myself and that, that's not always the case I don't always succeed with that way of thinking but for the most part I try to conduct my life that way and I just seem to be in a better spot. I am pretty hard on myself, uh, but like I feel if I remove the other person, it's easy for me to exist with that person and see them for all the amazing qualities they embody as a person rather than being like, are they a better player than me? Because honestly, like at this point in my life, I don't care. I kind of care about who they are and like if I want to spend time with them. But Eric at school maybe did. Because school fosters that. It does, and I think that I recognized that, and I was able to let go of it or try actively. Maybe I'm not fully there. I don't know. There's days where I have bad days, so I I try to catch it, and uh, like you said, talk to people about it. And generally, the people I choose to talk about it with are musicians because they right. s- they seem to right. value different things, and it's refreshing. It's just a different perspective on it. Totally, and it, it kind of yeah, totally. Couldn't say it better than that. It just it offers a different view on the whole situation. That's just my way of thinking, and it just seems like things. Even if you have good intentions, hanging out with someone, it could send a person in a down, downward spiral, and you could pick up on it. You know, you're like having a chat, and you're like, "Oh man, I heard this guy got this gig," and they're like, "What?" <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're removed from the conversation and not as you know vibrant, and you're just like, "Oh fuck, sorry." And I've been in that position where I've heard news on someone getting a gig, and I'm like, oh, wow, I would have I loved to have that gig. But it's not about me at that point. It's like, for the music, that person maybe is the best choice, so I should be happy for them. You know? And I'm quick to correct that way of thinking for me, because I, I think that is truly what matters. Is if that person serves the music the best, they should get the gig. And if I want that gig, I should work a little harder <laughs> at trying to get that gig or practicing that style of music or learning that rep or whatever so anyways I I think like going back to the school thing it does foster it and it is a lot of insecurity a lot of fear based judgment you know a lot of things that are not exactly healthy and lead to a lot of weird mental stuff like mental health problems that can later escalate, especially when you're going into a career that isn't stable financially. You're not guaranteed anything. And it's kind of like you don't know who your friends are because you're you chosen this career where you know you're thrusted into these positions with people that you don't really know, but now you gotta make nice with and hope it works out and play the game, essentially. And sometimes, you know, if you're not a good player <laughs> not musically I mean the game wise you know so I have like it's it's hard to exist sometimes in that place but I think the more you remove yourself from caring the easier it is to, to focus on the thing that matters which is the music and making it with people that you connect with like as people and yeah I don't know it's just my thoughts on it and on how to like counter that like negative space no but I like even it's not about counting the negative space it's, or countering the negative space it's about mm-hmm. engaging with it in a way that is somewhat productive so that you can mm. so that you can get past it right? sure. because it's not a it's like talking about it helps because you quickly can see that you're not the only one who deals with that type of thing yeah, yeah. and talking about it in depth helps other people see that there are steps that other people have taken. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So even by like you communicating all of that, you know, of the four other people who are going to listen to this podcast, hopefully hey, one yeah. <laughs> hopefully one of the people will be like, "Oh, you know what? I have felt that and like this is how Eric managed it." Right. And that and like that's the kind of stuff that 
I think I mean by open dialogue around the mental health stuff because it's like yeah no one's gonna have the same experience with it right but like the solidarity of like shit sucks this is why I think it sucks this is what I do to manage it and then someone else being like oh yeah this is how how I manage something similar to that as opposed to like just don't don't worry about other people because like that's actually you know for people who do worry about other people it's like telling someone not to be depressed like hey man stop being depressed yeah it's like oh that's all I needed I need a fucking positive attitude and oh here I am like you know so it's yeah being more forward about you know the shit that we all struggle with because everyone does kind of have a different variation of that for sure um, and I actually I do think the drummers and bass players it's it's uh, it happens pretty frequently because especially in this city there's a lot of them and there's a lot of them who could do the same gig you know it's you know and you're not going to end up on another gig with another drummer you know like I think of two drummers who like I look at the relationship that they have like I think Fab and Ethan like the relationship they have as friends and as professionals I think is it's it's amazing like it's so admirable as someone who like you know came up through school with a couple of the bass players and like and they aren't really playing anymore and it's just like those two are like you could have either one of them do your gig and they're both so excited about the other one and it's like that's like that's a cool version of you know and who I mean I don't know I've never talked to them about whether there's competition or struggle when the other gets called for a thing or not or but like from the outside it's like that's the relationship I want to have with other bass players it's like that that camaraderie of like yeah we're all in this together and sometimes it's you and sometimes it's me and who cares but as as an instrument that usually plays on their own I think it's harder to find that that place of like yeah I'm cool with this Hmm. I don't know. What's your experience with it? I find that the Toronto-based community is super tight. With each other? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, No, it's definitely. I feel like generally when I play a gig, there's several bass players there Mm. watching. And I also, I think that I'm also hanging with bass players when I go to see other people play. Mm. And when I go to see bass players play. Like, it's a very, uh, we're all the same. I feel like bass players are all very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you realize that... There's definitely a point of, like... Uh, it could go either way when you're in school. And you're like, this guy's getting all the gigs. These people sound like this. Blah, 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 blah. I don't like how these people sound. Whatever. But then I think you... you once you realize that we're just all the same, just holding up the bass and trying not to poop our pants, like there's a very, it's hard to, whatever the saying is, it's hard to dislike people up close or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, that's the, I mean, I don't know the what saying? the actual saying is, but I, I think that is the solution. Like every time that I've come across some people and I'm like, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm into this and then I have a conversation and then I'm like oh we're all we're just a bunch of scared little animals running around trying to trick people into thinking we're not a scared little animal like it's not like I should probably have more students on this podcast and I should probably play with more students I should probably go see more students play I think I'm fairly okay at... Nah. I was going to say I'm good at saying hi to people at shows, but it's like rarely more than a hi unless someone else... Engages. Engages. It's just like a hey and I wave and I say what's up and then I go back to my corner kind of thing. But maybe I could engage with the... the young whippersnappers... A little more. And also, I think the further you get down the road, unless you're a... I guess it depends where you are in your journey, but I feel like, generally speaking, the older we get and the more we realize what our own point of focus is, 
and how we sound as individuals, the competition factor goes away, mm. or it lessens at least. Like, well, when you have more responsibility, you don't have as much time to worry about that stuff. Yeah, like that's part of it. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I think another part of the Toronto-based thing is that like, not a lot of us sound alike, which is super cool. I mean, maybe we can cut this out if it gets a little slippery, but, like, name some bass players from our group, that from our little community that sound close. Yeah, it's hard. I mean... I guess I would say it's probably easier with the older dudes. Yeah. But yeah. even still... I mean, I think at some point, like, I think that resurgence of, like, I think crisscross in the 90s kind of had a big effect on on Toronto jazz. Like, mm. Benny, Donnie McCaslin, mm. and, and even, like, some of those steeplechase records. For I those think, of you keeping score, crisscross put out a bunch of records that are extremely forgettable, and it shaped several generations. <laughs> well, I, I just think, like, people started, like, that's how everyone found out about Larry... Scott Colley. Yeah. And I mean, even Drew Gress a little bit, but that was like more on the fringe. But like those guys who are all now in their mid 50s, I think they shaped like the Toronto bass player scene more than Don Thompson did. Whereas Don kind of shaped, Don and Dave Holland kind of shaped the people just below them. And then like the Mel Bow, the Mark Turner, the, the Donnie, the Benny bass players kind of shaped where the music that we were checking out at the time that we were in school not the stuff that we're checking out now but like the stuff that we were checking out 10 to 15 years ago yeah and so I think because of that and also with the internet it's like we could check out more it's not like we had to go hear Don or Neil play yeah I think there's a thing I mean and Eric will be able to speak to this but the Jim Blackley drummer thing I think there's a bit of a lineage with that There's a handful of guys who do. I mean, they don't really sound the same, and I've never heard Jim play, or I never got to hear Jim play. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can you think of any other? Well, with guitar, it's easy. Well, yeah. Yeah, the Ed thing is pretty... <laughs> you, can't, you can't escape Ed. Was that the door? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Is there a drummer lineage hookup that... I was talking about the Jim Blackley thing. Like, I think guys who, like, studied with Jim... Not that there's, like... Like, you and Mac definitely don't sound the same. But I think there's, like, a thing in the way he teaches... Mm, definitely a way and he's very specific about his approach to the ride symbol and how to play it uh, but I also see guys like I see drummers who study with Jim and then later on like you see them play the ride symbol and they don't abide by the way he taught them necessarily myself included in that um, you understand what the effect's supposed to be and the technique involved, but you may adjust it. And he's always been, uh, you know, aside from being very particular with the way he teaches the technique, he also makes it known that he wants you to develop your own way of approaching it as a result of knowing it. You know, so he's like, okay, you, you understand what you're going for and you understand the technique and how to execute it, but now make it your own. But you gotta master first and then make it your own. And I think a lot of people maybe jump the gun and just make it their own <laughs> before mastering it. Include myself in that. You know, it's it's very practical and it makes sense. You know, the whole approach to the ride symbol and it really makes you focus on what you appreciate about drummers. Uh, you know, feel and time feel and all that stuff like Elvin Philly, like all the greats. 
Uh, and then Jim has a way to, you know, I asked him about it. I'm like, how'd you develop this? And he said him and Jake Hanna, you know, became close and they, they talked about ride symbol technique and he developed a method. And uh, he says it works every time. And that's kind of his, you know, that's how he developed it. He's like, this is a way to swing every time you play the ride symbol. Uh, but then, as a drummer, like, depending on your body type, you know, what you tend to like over things you don't like, you adjust that. And, uh, I've rarely seen a, a drummer, I've seen a few, I've seen a couple who are, like, devoted Jim Blackley, like, I will play the ride cymbal, or I will play the drums the way that he taught me how to play the drums. But then I, I think you just, that it's like a stepping stone. You like study with him. He teaches you all these amazing things, and then you go on and you be creative using those tools. Uh, so I don't. Jim doesn't really necessarily have like a thing, a stamp, you know. Just from my experiences, you know, and and for those people who haven't really grown to develop their own sort of approach. Uh, they're like educators and they teach his method by the book and they make a living teaching Jim Blackley method stuff uh, but in terms of like lineage I don't know I don't, I don't really see it like you know part of the reason might be like guys like Kelso who are in, in charge of the Humber program who turn out so many drummers preach uh being like a musical chameleon, being able to play every style. And as a result, there's just so much information out there to, to take in that, you know, people sound like their preferences. You know, they start taking things from what they like and developing sounds from that. So I don't know if I really hear anyone pass down a sound, <laughs> you know. Jim was a great mentor, but he was also great at getting out of the way. And being saying make it your own to me anyways that's what I found my experience to, to be with him uh, I don't know I don't know if that answers the question I hear influences from great drummers and people sound like drummers but in terms of like a Canadian thing lineage I don't know <laughs> does any any come to mind for you guys more people need to sound like Claude Ranger. Dude, he was a beast. Do you find... This is... Just back to your bass players all sounding different. I, I feel very strongly about the fact that I think a lot of drummers that I play with in Toronto sound very different from one another. Do you feel that way about bass players? Yeah, I do. Yeah. The ones that I play with anyway, it's yeah. pretty, pretty distinct. And it's great. Yeah, that's interesting. I've definitely thought about it from the bass player perspective. Because Chris Pruden... Shut up, Chris Pruden. Chris Pruden. Chris Pruden. Because uh, Chris Chris uh, we've talked about it uh, a bunch. Um, but I've never talked about it with drummers. Or I've not, never thought about it with drummers, but I definitely feel strongly about the fact that a lot of the drummers I play with sound very different. Right. Like, in a good way. Like, it's, like you said, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, shall we? We've, we've been going a long time. Yeah. Got some stuff. It's gonna be like ten minutes of baseball content. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to cut a lot of that. <laughs> all that baseball bullshit. <laughs>